Hi everyone, it's your host Liz and welcome back to the podcast. Today's guest is Sam Latch. Sam and I connected over our love for fashion, female empowerment, and love of podcast. Sam shares with us her career journey from working in fashion to pivoting into tech. Along the way, she shares the roadblocks she faced when it came to getting her work visa and jumping into a new industry. This is Realistically with Liz. Hi, Sam. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Hey, Liz. So excited to be here. I would love to learn more about where you grew up and where you went to school and kind of your journey before you moved to New York. Definitely. So I grew up in Montreal, Canada, um, which was a total mix of urban and suburban lifestyle, which I loved. Um, I went to school there, a school called Concordia, where I studied psychology, ended up in fashion, which we'll get into. So it was kind of, you know, a little bit of a shift from there. And what else? So I didn't grow up too far from New York, but definitely always wanted to move there ever since I can remember. So. So had you ever traveled to New York with family or friends? Yes. So I, I traveled to New York with my mom and my grandmother for the first time when I was 12 and it was totally like love at first sight. Um, knew I had to be there right away, like kind of cliched in that way. And like, I honestly think from that point on, I was so one track minded about wanting to come here. It was like, it helped that I was so, you know, so goal oriented so much of my childhood and in my adolescence and my adulthood because it really like kind of gave me this like big purpose um, and like just like created a lot of like discipline and other components of my life. Cause I was like, you know, as soon as I graduate, I definitely want to move there. So I kind of grew up with that dream in mind. It didn't quite happen the exact timeline that I, that I had in mind, you know, obviously life has other plans, but I did eventually get there. So let's talk a little bit more about your timeline. You mentioned that you studied psychology why did you choose that major? What did you think your, you know, kind of like ideal career path was going to be? You know, you did mention fashion, but when did that mindset shift? Yeah. So I, psychology is, will forever just be like a, a passion of mine. I think even when I studied it, I knew I probably didn't want to necessarily have a career in it. I always wanted to work in fashion. So I always had, you know, retail jobs and, and fashion internships. But studying human beings and the mind is just like forever something that intrigues me and, and something that, that's played such a consistent, um, you know, part of my life. So I, I loved studying it as an undergrad and then always simultaneously like had that goal of eventually working and building my career in fashion. Yeah, absolutely. I think that with with psychology, the more I hear about it from different people that I've interviewed, you learn a lot about like character development, why people act certain ways. I think it's a great tool to have in your tool belt if you want to be a leader to know how others will, you know, react to certain situations um, and, and just how, you know, things are presented to them. It's so true. It, to me, it's like a, a foundation that can be used for your personal life, your professional life, any relationship. Um, you know, we're, we're always going to be with people. So, and then to me, the mind is all we have. So I've always been so, you know, intrigued in, in studying it. 
So it's a great point. Like, I think psychology is a good basis for honestly, like anything that you choose to do. What would be like a great resource for anybody like interested in, in doing it or, or learning more about it? For me, I would, when I studied psychology, I actually spoke to quite a few people who had, you know, different careers that you can, you know, use from the degree. And a lot of them I noticed were not really what I was interested in. So I was like, okay, I'm really glad I actually just like spoke to somebody because right away it kind of, you know, it allowed me to like make that decision for myself. Like, you know, upon actually hearing about people's experiences, I think it's more something I just want to study and be involved in versus something I actually want to, you know, commit my, my career to. So I think it always just helps to like speak to as many people as you can who are in that field or studied that and just like hear about their experience with it. Once you figure out what lane you want to go into and after, you know, speaking to people, which I think is, is, is also great advice is really talking to other people that maybe you kind of see their job title and maybe you're like, Hey, that's something interesting. Let me learn more about that. You had mentioned that you talked to a couple of people that you weren't really crazy about, you know, interesting conversations, but you weren't really interested in long-term and like what they were doing in their career. So how did that, you know, when did you move to New York and realize like what your next steps were? Yeah. So I moved in March, 2012. Um, you know, you never forget your New York anniversary. I feel like I, I celebrate that the same, the same way I celebrate my birthday or my wedding anniversary. So it's crazy to think that I'm like going on my eighth year you know, I definitely, there was like a tremendous amount of roadblocks along the way. Just, it was to be totally transparent. I feel like there was like too many to count, like fashion, the industry I was in or wanted to be in. And again, that was just through like work experience and speaking to people. I realized like that was something I really wanted to do, but it was also like the most competitive industry. I also required a work visa. So that just made it, you know, that much more challenging. I really had to, you know, find a company that was that was willing to kind of like put that extra layer of work in to sponsor me. Um, I had to move kind of before all the paperwork went through. There was like a big cost associated with that. So it definitely took a lot of patience and hard work to get here. But again, I think because I really was so goal oriented and, and really, you know, kind of just like kept my eye on the prize and stayed focused and, and just like had a lot of, a lot of faith and then had really built my network up at that point, um, even from Canada, like just from, you know, messaging people. And obviously at that point, it, you know, it was different. It, it wasn't, you didn't have the same access to people you have now, it was, you know, different, there wasn't really social platforms, but there were still ways to like, you know, email people and have them introduce me to people. So it, it definitely, it's great. It, it all ended up working out, but it was, quite quite the journey but when I did come here I, I did end up finding a, a fashion company that was that was willing to take the chance which is um where kind of like my New York story all began again I, I think that we can't mention this enough the fashion industry obviously is super competitive and you know I've had different people on whether they've worked on the wholesale side consulting and the you know sales side it's, it's kind of across the board. You really never know. I mean, connections are a huge thing, but it's a lot of hard work too. So, you know, you had mentioned having retail experience, having internships in fashion, which I'm sure that helped even more when reaching out to people because, you know, ultimately email is still, you know, 
a big form of communication aside from our social platforms. Like you're going to, like direct to, to who you want to talk to at least, or at least someone, you know, within the, the company growing up on whether it was, I don't know if it was, it was gossip girl for you, if it was sex in the city for you, like it, it's kind of like you see everything around you and you see all these like luxe jobs or even just like the lifestyle that they have. It just makes you want to be here even more. Totally. I was going to say all of the above. I feel like I watched like every, every female New York show possible. Um, and yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. It's like at that point, it, it definitely, it's challenging and it requires a lot, but it is possible. I know a lot of people who have been able to do it. And I think like the beautiful thing about the New York ecosystem is like, everyone kind of has a story and everyone kind of wants to help. So I do think, you know, it's not to say that everyone you reach out to will necessarily be able to push you forward, but you never know. I think it helps to plant your seeds, to diversify, speak to people. Most people kind of were in your position to some degree at some point. So they're always kind of looking to, to potentially help and, and extend their network. So I feel like I got my first internship through somebody. And then now it, if I ever get a message from anyone, I'm always, you know, that much more prone to return the favor because somebody did that for me and, and did, you know, opened up all those experiences for myself. So I think it never hurts to just like plant those seeds, reach out to people, network, 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 and you never know where a single conversation might lead you. Yeah. You know, we, we've talked about networking before on the podcast again, because I think it's just across the board, like you should always be updating yourself, like getting, you know, uh, acquainted with new people, staying in the loop with, with, you know, just like trends, but also just again, like if you had certain mentors or even people, for instance, that they helped you out finding this internship, you know, a couple years ago to now it's, it's again, just paying it forward in a sense of maybe they need something in the future. Maybe you could recommend the photographer you had for your wedding. Definitely. And that's why I always say it's more just like being on people's radar and like planting those seeds. Like you do have to have a level of patience, which I'm like the least patient person. But once you, when I say planting seeds, like you can have a conversation and then like maybe a week to like three months later to a year later, you're someone is like, oh yeah, I remember this person was like looking for a job or an internship. So the more you kind of just like have these conversations, it's a numbers game. Like the more radars you'll get on and the more people will think of you. And yeah, I don't know. I think networking has kind of a bad rap and that people feel like it's really awkward. I'm like an anomaly in the way that like, I love meeting new people and hearing what people are up to. So it doesn't really like occur as an awkward thing for me. So like maybe it's just like re- you know, relabeling it to just like meeting people or like having conversations versus like, you know, sometimes like mentorship or networking can feel daunting to people. But if you just think of it like, you know, meeting different people here and there, then I don't think it feels as scary and intense. And it's just been like that one kind of constant that I've, that I've had my whole life that I really truly believe it's like the gift that keeps on giving just like your willingness to just like have have dialogues with with random people and you know it's obviously harder now because you know we're not out and about meeting people given the pandemic but i i think it's still possible there's like so many digital communities i think people actually have more bandwidth to have these kind of conversations so it's like kind of a good time to just 
um, reach out to people. I get random LinkedIn messages from people all the time. I, I do the same. So it's always, you know, it's, it's worth it. And when I say the numbers game, like if, you know, let's say you reach out to like five or six people, maybe you only get two or three responses. That's totally okay. To that point, what you mentioned before about like relabeling it, it, I think that's like a great way to put it because, you know, speaking to, to past guests, for instance, or even just like, you know, friends of mine, when you do think networking, I feel like sometimes it does like, just have like a heavy ear, kind of like a oh, it's networking, like time to network. It feels like such a, like a big task. Or even when you think of mentorships, I remember in, in a, in a certain episode I did, my guest raved about her mentor, which is great. And I, it was just such an interesting conversation to have because I was like, oh, I personally haven't had like a direct mentor. So then when you think about that, you're like, oh, well, you know, what have I done wrong? Like maybe you start comparing yourself in, in that way, which we all know we shouldn't do, but it's very easy to do because then you're just like, oh, well, maybe that person had a mentor and they're, you know, in this stage of their career, I never had a mentor, but then you also might have really great connections or just know people that, you know, are in your corner and, you know, know what your skill set are. So I feel like there are like pros and cons to, to, you know, having those conversations. Totally. I, I, I don't think having a mentor has to feel as black and white as that. I do know a lot of people who like kind of do have these like more so like formal mentors that they look up to that give them career advice. I think, you know, actually something I've even learned in my career is there's such thing as like, you know, peer, peer mentors, just even people that are at your level and just, just having people that you can turn to for advice is kind of how I think about it. Or like, you know, I know people that like, literally they have like a board of directors for their life of people made up of like, you know, friends, people in their network quote unquote mentors. And they just, when they have a major decision to make, like, especially in their career, they'll just like turn to those people. So I don't think it has to be any type of like formal mentor, but unless, you know, you do have that and that works for you again, like, I think it can be totally relatable. It's just like people you can turn to for, for guidance or for advice. Speaking of, you, you mentioned uh, previously that you had to, you know, it was, it was a harder transition to, for you to, to, to get here, having to also get a work visa. So can you tell me, us, a little bit more about that process? You know, I know it's not something that you kind of share all the time, but how much can you elaborate on that? I joke that I'm like an immigration lawyer by night. Like I've learned so much about the process. I've been through so many visas having been here for eight years. And, and now uh, I have my green card. I just applied for my citizenship. So it's, it's different, but I think there's also a big misconception because a lot of people are like, Oh, Canadians, like you, you're, you're like our neighbor. Like it should be so easy for you to get here. And it's, it's very circumstantial. So there are certain careers or there's certain kind of jobs that the U.S. could use more resources from abroad. So they might be open to have, let's say, you know, let's say I did end up pursuing that career in psychology and I was a social worker. I know a lot of people who are social workers who had like a fairly easy time, like applying for a visa. It wasn't so expensive. It kind of, it worked exactly with what they studied, with what the U.S. was looking for. So there are some situations that are more straightforward. Um, I won't bore everyone with my personal details, but it was, mine was a little bit more nuanced because a lot of the time, you know, they want 
you to, the, the U.S. wants to know that you have some type of specialty and, and something that you could, some type of expertise that, that you can do that, that maybe a U.S. citizen couldn't do, which again, hard to prove at 23. Um, so it was an interesting challenge. Luckily, I did have a tremendous amount of work experience and that I always had part-time jobs and had completed a lot of internships. So I was able to build somewhat of a case, but I still had to work with an immigration lawyer, which a big cost was associated with that. Luckily, I had some savings from living at home for a few years, but it was, my situation was just a little trickier because I didn't study what I was working in. It was like fairly red tape, which made it challenging it just might not be as straightforward. So based on my work experience, we were able to kind of do that. And, you know, you want to have it all wrapped up and signed, sealed, delivered before you start. But I just remember the, the company I was working at really needed me to start kind of before all the paperwork went through. So I don't, I don't recommend that anyone necessarily do that, but I kind of didn't have a choice. So I kind of had to move, get started and like finish it, you know, as I went on and it wasn't, you know, it, it all did end up working out, but it was definitely like a little bit of a rockier start. And then from there on, when I ended up like switching jobs, you kind of have to go through the whole process again. Given at that point, you have some context and you have some experience, but it, you know, you don't have the same flexibility that somebody that a U.S. citizen would have to be able to kind of just like hop around. So I've had to be like super organized and intentional about kind of all my career moves because of that reason. Yeah. So you weren't, we can say that you, for instance, weren't really pivoting your career as much as, as you wanted to, or maybe intended to early on. Cause I, I feel like it, it runs through us in, in our twenties that we want to, you know, try everything out and, you know, try this job, try that job. But it was a little bit more difficult since you kind of always had to have that job security to, to withhold your work visa. Exactly. Like for me, my twenties were the most like laser focused time where I was like barely taking any risks and like could not really have that freedom to move around. And it did ultimately end up catching up with me because we do grow up thinking that, you know, we have this perception of our career that it should be and will be linear and that, you know, you're, you're going to move up and you'll get better titles and you'll hopefully, you know, get better positions and make more money. And that has certainly not been the case for me or for a lot of people I know. I think it requires a lot of like trial and error and a lot of just reevaluation. So once I did get my green card, which ultimately gave me the freedom to be able to hop around a little bit more, that's when I really got into the fun stuff and, and at that point pivoted to a career in tech and, and kind of just got into the habit of like reinventing myself, um, which I think can be really scary, but I think it's a good kind of skill to have and, you know, to be able to just cross pollinate and take what you've learned from different industries and different jobs and, and bring that to your next role. So I, I do think you know, maybe if it wasn't for the visa and if I could have it my way, maybe I would have kind of done more of that earlier, but you can't really control that. And I was able to at least develop an expertise in, in fashion as an industry and, and really kind of learn different parts and sides of it and, and know that it wasn't for me long-term. So in some ways it was definitely a gift, but I always say now, like it is totally okay to 
try a bunch of things, to reevaluate, to dare to pause. I think like pausing can be such a good professional skill, like take a breather if something's not working, whether it's earlier in your career or later at any point. I think that constant reevaluation and the ability to pause are, are really key. Yeah. I mean, those are two really great takeaways. I think that going back to how you mentioned that we're always thinking of like, you know, the, the next job, the next paycheck, you know, the next, you know, boost in salary. I think we're always like paying attention to the scale and it doesn't really always happen that way. I feel like there's a lot of zigzags in between. You might, you know, get a title bump that maybe doesn't fulfill you as much as you thought it would. So I feel like reevaluating yourself and your situation is definitely like a very big, a very big takeaway that people should, should, you know, embrace, especially, you know, whatever age they are. Cause I, I think about it now, you know, especially with COVID happening that, you know, obviously there's been a, a, a lot of unemployment now in, in, throughout the year. And I think it's also given people the opportunity to kind of hit that pause button. Maybe, you know, there are a lot of other factors revolved around it that maybe it's not necessarily the pause that you wanted to take, but it could also be the pause that you needed and, and didn't know, didn't know you needed, or maybe you didn't want to give yourself the pause. Completely. Like, I think some people are being kind of forced to pause against their will, um, which is not always fun, but, you know, hopefully we'll end up turning into a blessing in disguise. And yeah, I think it's good to aspire to, of course, like grow in your career, climb the corporate ladder, whatever that looks like. But it it's also okay to know that it's not always going to be linear like that. Like the world constantly changes, your dreams change, your priorities change. It's totally okay to pivot and to shift. In fact, it's like natural. I think it can be uncomfortable, but it's, it's necessary in so many ways. And, and it's something that we should be told, I think, earlier. I mean, and it is a different generation and there is more opportunity now. And it's, you know, I think it was like frowned upon at one point to like be moving around and trying new things. But, you know, given where the workforce is heading, I, I actually think it's good to actually try new things, see what you like. Um, I used to not necessarily resonate with this term of like, oh, I feel like I'm a generalist. You know, I can do a little bit of this. I can do a little bit of that. But now that I've leaned, in, leaned into it, it's opened so many opportunities that because I worked in fashion and then in tech, I, I actually do have quite a broad skill set. So this kind of like cross-pollination and trying new things and being a generalist has, has actually opened a lot of doors for me. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, as someone that kind of, you know, I feel like when we first spoke offline, we kind of had the same, you know, fashion and tech background in a sense that, you know, I had worked a lot of years in retail and then in wholesale. And then my past role happened to be in the tech side. And at first I feel like I was very hesitant of it. Like I wanted to try something different. And that was like the whole reason I really wanted to challenge myself. But at the same time, as you mentioned, being a generalist, but even just the skills you had acquired with a different industry doesn't mean that they don't apply to like fashion and tech. Yes, they seem very at odds, but there are certain skills based on what your job is that you can carry from each one and, or maybe you can build upon in each role that you you've taken. What I'm trying to say is I feel like it's more about the skill set that you have and like how you present that to you know, your future employer versus the entire, you know, list of job titles and, and things that you have on your resume. 
Exactly. And yeah, I feel like we both, like when we connected, we were like, oh, this is like music to my ears because we did have a similar experience. And it definitely, like, I think felt a little scary and, and challenging to, to hop from one industry to another, like whether, you know, it sounded like it was something I really wanted to do, whereas yours, you were not necessarily as sure about. But I think it's good to like have those conversations with people because then you see how common it is. And to your point, I think every job you have, it's good to present yourself to what you're accomplishing because it can always be used for that next role. Maybe not in a straightforward way, but there, there's all, all these skill sets can, can definitely be pivoted towards something else. And I think you're your own kind of like best storyteller. So as long as you have this narrative that you can create for yourself of, of what you've accomplished, um, you, you bring that to your next role and then you bring that to the role after that. So it's really just like, I think, knowing your accomplishments and your skills and just like crafting your story and, and feeling, you know, as confident as you can with it, which, which just ultimately requires practice and, and, you know, continuing to say it. Yeah, absolutely. It's like practicing your elevator pitch, but for yourself. And I feel yeah. like, you know, when you start a new job, for instance, and you're trying to learn like all the values your job has, or like the company has, and like you learn that and you're like, great, I got it. I can repeat it. It's, 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 it's in there. It's drilled in my brain. But I feel like your own personal elevator pitch, you should be thinking about more often. Totally. I kind of wish I had practiced that starting even younger. Like, I think I finally got that that was really important <laughs> to do later on but I think like yeah having your own elevator pitch which like of course will ebb and flow and change but like treat yourself like company have your values have your mission and practice that stuff and have it ready to reference so that you can use it as like a decision making framework as you evaluate opportunities um, as you meet people and speak to people so it's it's so important I think to like be intentional about that stuff with with yourself and your career. It, it takes constant practice, I think. And, and you know, you want it, to, it's okay to go back to the drawing board. You know, it could be that every year you kind of change that up a little bit. But I do think it's something really, really important. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I would have to agree with that. So you've now been here for eight years officially. So congrats on that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Made it to eight. Um, so I, I want to go into, I like to call it my all about New York segment of the podcast. So you've obviously, you know, learned a lot from a work level to even just a human level. Like, how do you feel like you've grown? Oh, I, I, there's so many things that come to mind. I think definitely this concept of like being comfortable with the uncomfortable you know, things change and your priorities change. And that can feel really scary, especially for someone like me who was so laser focused, like, again, taking those, those moments of pausing and, and reevaluating, I think have been such helpful lessons because they've allowed me to create then what's next for myself. And I think like the beautiful thing about New York is like I learn new things every day. Like it, there's, you never know who you're going to meet. The energy is just incredible. I think you really see what you're made of here because it's, it's, you know, the bad days are pretty rough. And I think to me, like the good days are great. I think like I've really just learned, like you, you never know where a single conversation will lead you. You never know who you're going to wake up and meet that day. 
And I think those are things specifically that New York offers that, that I don't necessarily feel you can get in every city just because there's, this is the epicenter of, of, of arts and of so many, of so many industries. So I, I think I've also just, I've loved the diversity of New York and that's opened me up to so much in the way that I think and, and how I make decisions. You know, there is something that a lot of New Yorkers all do have in common. I've heard the expression, New York is like the whole world. You literally have the whole world here. You can like see in just a day's time, you might, you know, experience people from that are, you know, different races and different backgrounds and religions. And I don't, I don't feel that I've, that that can be replicated anywhere. So I think just like the ultimate lesson in like just diversity and, and expanding the way you think. Uh, I've been challenged in a really healthy, great way living here for eight years. Yeah, definitely. I mean, leaning into the, to the question, I feel like you've covered a lot of like what you love about New York and, you know, again, the, the energy, that diversity, I feel like you almost forget until you're with someone that doesn't live here and then they see it as a shock. And then you've kind of realized like, oh, wow, I find this to be the normal. Like this is our, this is like the New York normal. And then this is what everybody else thinks. And I feel like that happens more, you know, more times than, than, than none. Definitely. And it's something like I really don't take for granted. Just like the fact that you have access to so much here, whether that's in the form of like events or, or meeting people or career staff. And, you know, it's, it's obviously upsetting because you, that, that's not the case right now. Um, but I think, New York will definitely recover as, as will everyone. And again, I, I still think it's possible to like be able to replicate some of that stuff in, in a digital way. And just the, the, the energy and the enthusiasm and the ambition, I think just still shines through the streets in my opinion. So even though it's different, I think it's still, you're still getting a taste of it. I mean, we, we always talk about the specific energy and the specific vibe that it has. And I, I think that that still stands, even though, you know, we can't be all over the place, um, which is, I feel like what we're used to. I feel like there's just like little things that still make it whole, like walking outside and like, you know, going to like that coffee shop and like, you know, just like knowing your barista and, you know, just like maybe just walking your neighborhood and kind of just seeing your, your, your little spots or like walking by your favorite restaurant. I feel like those moments like really make us feel like, oh, okay, wow. Like this is, this is the place. This is where I'm at. Like, this is why I'm happy that I live here. Completely. It's, there's, there's always something to explore. Like, you know, even after eight years, I feel like I, I was, I lived in the East Village pretty much the whole time that I've been here. And like, I would obviously still find new, new spots every day, which was so great. And I think, you know, you can also build like a great sense of community here, which I think New York taught me that in a, in a big way as well. I, I did grow up within quite a community and I wasn't sure I would be able to replicate that here. But like, even through the Lower East Side, I, I I loved it so much that I really made sure to also like, you know, understand more about the community. And that led me to volunteer at the Lower East Side Girls Club, which is this amazing after school program that was like a few streets down from me. Um, that ultimately it helps give girls just different skill sets and classes and to ultimately break the cycle of poverty on the Lower East Side. And that just 
took my my love for the neighborhood and for New York and and honestly magnified it by a hundred and really made me also want to give back to the city because it gave me so much that I'm like, what are ways now that I can actually give back and, and make sure that other people kind of continue to flourish. So I think as big and as daunting as it is, it also is possible to, you know, have that sense of community here. It might just, you know, require you finding it, but it's there. And I think that always kind of makes that's always made it feel more so like home for me. Yeah, definitely. I mean, paying it forward is, I mean, it's amazing the fact that you, you found something in your neighborhood and, you know, participated in it, not just like found it, but actually like participated in it and, you know, decided, okay, like this is something that, you know, has brought me value aside from just like living in New York and having these possibilities. Like, you know, everyone has, again, we always say this, everyone has a different story. Um, So, you know, even if they live in New York, you know, some people, you always have, you know, certain New Yorkers that, for instance, they, this is all they know. So imagine those people that have never traveled, that this is just all they know. So that's, you know, I'm sure they could learn so much from, from someone like you. No, definitely. And like, you make a great point. Like, you know, a lot of, a lot of the girls that go to that center, like are, in Alphabet City, and some of them have never really experienced nature or left the city. So a lot of what we're trying to do is also raise money to like send them to camp for the summer, just to be able to like, you know, see what else is available in the New York region and just experience nature and all of that. So I think it's so important. And there's always kind of ways that your experience or, you know, whatever it is, your resources can can kind of help shift the trajectory for somebody else. Yeah, definitely. Um, I want to lead into, you know, sharing a little bit more about, you know, you've mentioned living in the East Village for quite some time and also, you know, just like loving the Lower East Side neighborhood. Um, What would you say are like your probably top three, top five um, uh, restaurants in in the city? My God, there's like so many to choose from. I joke because I'm like the least foodie person ever, but like it's like kind of hard to even like get a bad meal here. Like I feel like it just, we're so spoiled. Um, You can pretty much get anything you're craving like delivered to you or within like a like five mile radius, I would say. So I'm really into like the whole coffee shop shop culture here. I feel like there's just so many. My number one place is Mud Coffee. It just, I don't know. I go in there and I feel like I'm just in like, a time warp in the best way possible. I love their coffee. I love their vibe. Um, that's like probably my number one. Um, I also love Maman. They have a few locations. There's also in, in Montreal, but just their branding and their aesthetic and their coffee and everything is great. And then restaurants. Um, I would say I love Vicks. Um, really good Italian food. And, you know, I feel like it's just one of those places where I've like gone with different groups of friends so like I kind of it's like you know it's like become like my spot so I think it's always like I always want to challenge myself to try these new restaurants but you know how it is once you find a place you love it's nice to kind of like keep going back and have that be like your neighborhood place so trying to think if there's any others um those are probably like my my top three yeah no I love that I think that there's definitely like two types of New Yorkers that you know, there's people that always say, oh, I love trying new places. And, you know, I just want to like go everywhere. 
but there are the people that, you know, you kind of just get into that. I don't want to say it's a routine, but you find just that gem that like, whether it is in your neighborhood or in like the neighborhood next to your neighborhood. And you just like find this like great spot that like, it just consistently like serves up like great food, great service. The atmosphere is there. So that's why you keep going back. And that's really what these restaurants need from us is to keep going back. Totally. And then like, it's nice. It it starts to, you have that, that sense of familiarity. And yeah, I think, you know, right now, I think restaurants, especially, you know, small restaurants just appreciate any, any type of business. And I think we're all trying to be so intentional with where we spend our money because it's, it's such trying time. So I think it's, yeah, it's given me like a new appreciation to really continue to like go to those spots that need it, that I love and, and do whatever I can to kind of, you know, give back and keep them in business. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, like you said, it's definitely become challenging because, you know, we obviously all want to stay safe, but, you know, as much as, as much as you can, we, I always say this, anytime we mention these new spots, if you've never been to them, if you're excited to go to them, you know, call the restaurant beforehand, see what they're doing. If you, you know, worried about just, you know, safety measures or anything, if they have, you know, reservations, outdoor dining, like again, we're still at a 25% capacity indoors. So, you know, you can't always just expect, okay, I'm going to go in and sit inside and, you know, it's going to be great. especially now that things are getting colder, the heaters are not always going to be there guys. And it's going to be either too cold to sit outside with heaters. So again, if they offer some sort of delivery or takeout, like just opt for that option, if that's what you have to do. Totally. We're going to have to be really safe and creative about, you know, the way we think about our, our dining right now, but I totally agree with you. It's, it's possible to do and just, um, you can research and, and find ways to be able to, you know, help keep these places going. I, I look at like secret New York city, like infatuation. There's always new articles that are like fun telling you like, Hey, this place has, you know, they created igloos for you to like sit outside or recently I was in Soho and I passed Cafe Select, which I love. And they have this whole outdoor area built out and they are offering, again, I get it. And they're offering like blankets, like there's heaters installed. So again, you know, there's people are trying to be resourceful. So you just kind of got to go with it and yeah, just stay safe. Yeah, totally. And if there's anything New Yorkers are good at, I feel like it is being resourceful. So we'll, we'll figure, we'll figure it out. Yeah, for sure. So Sam, any last minute advice, last minute lessons that, you know, you wish you would have learned like earlier on that would be valuable for the audience? Something I've learned that I'd love to pass on is just really to continue to keep a list, not even necessarily of of what you're good at and what you love, but also just the, the things that that spark joy for you from you know a personal and a professional standpoint and get really clear on those things, really know like what puts you in a state of flow, what lights you up. And it's not to say that like you know every day has to have those things. And really understanding, like, what are your values? What are your priorities? Um, for me, like, through some of my volunteer work and then through a lot of my different jobs, I was really finally able to put down, okay, I really want to do something with entrepreneurship and with feminism and with business, tech, social impact. And, you know, right now I'm on the founding team of a company that actually has all of those things. And 
I didn't think it would be possible to potentially have everything in one specific role. But once I got really clear on what I wanted and what my non-negotiables were, it was much easier for me to go out there and then find it and create it. And, you know, maybe you can't get all five, but you can, you'll say like, you know, I at least need three or four of the five. So getting really clear on like, what lights you up? What puts you in a state of flow? What do you love to do? What don't you love to do? Um, having a list of that stuff to reference, I think will only continue to help you make decisions and open doors for you. So just get in the habit of like, of, of having that information close and, and keeping track of it. And just, you know, I think the list will, will keep growing and you'll have to keep editing it. And that's totally okay. In fact, that's like encouraged. So keep kind of just being open to whatever it is you want to create for yourself and um, keep taking the steps, you know, every day, like take whatever steps you can. They don't even need to be big ones. They can be like micro steps towards those things, but just always kind of like stay in action on, on what you want to create for yourself next. Yeah, no, I, I, I love that actually. Cause I feel like an ongoing list is, is way more productive than you actually like sitting like down, like let's say with your computer or with like your journal and then trying to write everything out in the moment. Like, let's say you're feeling, uh, I don't know, you're, you're looking for something new in your career or, you know, you're looking at a promotion or anything of that sort of change and you haven't listed anything down. Like, I feel like that's something that I would want to do right now. Cause I feel like it's, you know, when, like, for instance, when you're in like job hunting mode, it obviously is very time consuming job applications, like different cover letters. It's easy to reach that kind of burnout stage of like talking about yourself. But I feel like having that ongoing list of reminders almost of what, like, let's say you did something in, in one past role and you really love that. And now you don't find that in another role or, you know, you, you, again, like just trying to figure out what you like what holds value for you and like what you really want to see. Like, I feel like it'll stand out more when you're, when you're trying to like also pitch yourself to someone It's like, Oh, I'm passionate about, you know, volunteering or doing this, like it'll come out a different way than, you know, someone just like reading it off of your, your resume. If it's like on this list, that's like also in the back of your mind. Completely. And like, you can make the list fun and like, you know, keep adding to it. It doesn't even have to be so like formal or serious. And Actually, one other thing that comes to mind that I was once told was to have a brag folder. So whether or not you're getting good feedback from managers at work, whether it be, you know, good, a good review, or even like people in your personal life that are sharing something that they love about you or thanking you, screenshot that, put that in a brag folder and, you know, save it for a rainy day, reference back to it, or like read it before a stressful interview mm -hmm. or when you're trying to negotiate a raise or um, have that stuff handy so you can actually like reference back to it. Yeah. I love that. That's really, that's really fun. I wrote that down brag folder. I feel like who doesn't want that? <laughs> like <the> who <laughs> doesn't want like a cheerleader and then all you have to do is click a file and everything's like right there. Exactly. And call it whatever you want. I think like mine's not necessarily called brag folder. I think I have like a bunch of fun emojis and I have it on my phone. I just like screenshot and put it in there. So Whatever, whatever kind of like floats your boat in terms of like how, you know, it'll speak to you or how you think it'll bring you the most value. 
Um, but I, everyone should kind of have a version of it. It's something I wish I started even younger because now I, I reference it a lot. And I think it's like, it's good to know how people perceive you and it's good to know your strengths. And it just kind of gives you like positive energy and ammunition as you, you know, wake up every day and take on the world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's again, great advice. Well, Sam, thank you so much for, for joining me today on the podcast. Is there anywhere if, if someone's trying to connect with you or learn more about you that you would like to share any social media accounts that they could find you at? Yes. So, um, I guess I'm probably the most active on Instagram. Definitely check out Capri for Girls. That is the financial education app that I am working on now. And we are launching our beta next month. So definitely come check us out on social. Check out our website. Great. And I'll make sure to link everything in the show notes. And again, on our website, you'll find a blog post with everything about Sam. Thank you, Liz. This was great. As always, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. For podcast updates and more information on our guests, visit our website, realisticallywithliz.com. Don't forget to rate and review on your preferred podcast platforms, and we'll see you next week with a new episode.